Watch Podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, Nebraska Extension Beef Educator. For today's Beef Watch Podcast, we're going to be taking a break from our usual format of discussing Beef Watch newsletter articles. Today's Beef Watch Podcast is a producer perspective, and I'm joined by Jim Jenkins, who's a rancher from Custer County. Thanks for joining me today, Jim. I'm glad to be here. Well, Jim, as we have had some conversation before we got on. You recently got into the sheep business. You added sheep as an enterprise to your operation there. But before we talk about that, tell us a little more about yourself, your background, the history of the operation there, and how you got to where you are today. Well, I was born on this ranch. The ranch has been in my family since 1876. We're right in the middle of Custer County, right near Broken Bow, Nebraska. It's uh, it's not Sand Hill. It's uh, we call it. It's hard grass country. Uh, uh, quite a few uh, uh, rugged hills and, and some really good, uh, good farmland. Uh, I have a creek that runs down through my property and do have uh, more cedar trees than I would like, but uh, it is very good grazing country. And, uh, you know, it, it, I think I might have said it was 1876 when my family or my ancestors came out here and started the ranch. So I grew up on this ranch and then I left the state for about 20 some years. Um, ended up in Boston, Massachusetts. My wife's from Chicago, sort of did my urban big city thing. And then in 1996, I moved back. I'm also in the restaurant business, uh, started a, a restaurant, many of your listeners I'm sure are familiar with called Whiskey Creek Steakhouse, sold out of it and, um, and still own um, and part owner in a Skeeter Barnes restaurant in Kearney, Nebraska. So my background is food related. You know, I've had the uh, privilege, I guess, or the experience uh, to be in the uh, food business kind of from gate to plate. You know, I've really uh, enjoyed coming back here, being able to come back to my family ranch. Our ranching operation is principally now a yearling uh, operation. Uh, we do also finish some cattle. Uh, we have about a oh, 13, 1400 head feed yard uh, that we use for both backgrounding and feeding cattle. We raise some grains, corn, soybeans, alfalfa, and do a lot of cover crops. But really, our focus has principally been the cattle business. Well, Jim, I know you've had a history of trying some different things, and you recently made a decision to look at introducing sheep as a component of your operation there, adding an enterprise. Just talk through us the thought process you went through with that, the things you went through to arrive at, yes, I want to do this and, and try this out. What were some of the things that drove you to consider that? Well, I uh, had the honor and privilege to be a part of the first board or committee that developed the Nebraska Grazing Conference. I think our first one was late 90s. And, you know, so I think I've been to almost all of them. Uh, and I, at those conferences, I started learning about the importance of, or the the potential of multi-species grazing. And, you know, we all know that uh, back before the settlers showed up or this area was settled, we had multi-species grazing the Great Plains, buffalo and antelope and deer and elk and, you know, whatever. A, a, a large number of graziers uh, were out here on the plains. And it also, uh, as I did research and started reading about the best way to practice land stewardship and, and grazing. I got into rotational grazing or planned grazing. 
and we started breaking our ranch up into more and more pasture units and putting water systems out there to to help distribute better distribute the grazing but all along i i felt like i want there was an opportunity to do multi-species grazing especially when i learned that goats and sheep they focus on 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 different things so you know i've heard for example that goats are more browsers and uh, sheep are, are more forb or weed eaters. They all eat grass, but uh, when you're looking at introducing or integrating cattle and sheep and or goats, there appears to be sort of a free lunch and there's not very many free lunches in any business or agriculture. The notion that I, that I could go out and consume weeds, forbs, browse that my cattle were not eating and knowing that feed cost is the number one component to, uh, or the number one cost of owning livestock, I just thought there was a, a great opportunity. And, and honestly, I've been considering this for years. I actually experimented with goats about 15 years ago and uh, found that I just don't think Nebraska is as well suited for goats and, and I don't want to get off on the sideline, but uh, we are surrounded by sheep states, South Dakota, Wyoming, Colorado. Um, I mean, there are sheep in Missouri, uh, Kansas, you know, I just felt like uh, after experimenting with goats, goats are not as hardy in the winter time. And uh, I just felt like there was a better market for sheep more infrastructure readily available. And so after experimenting with the goats a bit for two or three years, I, I didn't do anything for about 10 years. And then finally decided about a year, year and a half ago to get back in the multi-species business by purchasing sheep. So how did you educate yourself around, you know, obviously you've had cattle, you grew up on a ranch, you know, know the livestock in from the cattle perspective, but how did you educate yourself around sheep, uh, finding out information to prepare yourself to take on the enterprise? Well, I, at, at one of the grazing conferences, I had given a presentation and, and, and on one slide I'd said, I talked about the possibility of doing multi-species grazing as an opportunity that we probably all should be looking at, including myself. And Jay Parson, who's an extension educator at the University of Nebraska, came up to me after that talk and said, Jim, um, uh, my wife, Jerry, uh, does a lot of work with uh, sheep folks all over the Western United States, and uh, we can uh, really help you uh, if you're interested. And probably another year or so went by, but I called, reached out to Jay and Jerry, and they gave me a list of people and actually introduced me via email or whatever uh, to some of the largest and best top sheep operators in Colorado. And I can tell you, it's been just a, these folks have, they have so much enthusiasm and interest and they really believe Nebraska should be running a lot more sheep given our resources, you know, uh, water and grass and corn and, you know, so I, I then began to, uh, through phone conversations, emails, and then actually spent uh, two years ago, two summers ago, 
I, I did a Colorado, several Colorado tours and actually went out and lived with the herders, um, went out, went out up into the mountains. Uh, I actually went out and was a part of the lambing process. Those folks have, have mentored me and one woman in particular, who's a Nebraska native, now uh, runs an operation both in Utah and, and Colorado, Julie Hansmeyer, who graduated from the university. Uh, Julie has been just given tremendous time to me and, and been uh, helpful. There's also a, uh, a gentleman named Darwin Yoder, uh, who's a, he seems to be the vet for some of the He's a vet to some of the major operators from California into Colorado. He lives out in Idaho, and uh, Darwin has been extremely helpful in uh, answering questions and and doing it for free. I, I do buy vaccine from him. I've told him to send me a bill. He never has, but you know, I I think the sheep industry is sort of on the defensive, and so when you have someone coming in with some you know some interest they seem to really uh, want to respond to it. So finding some mentors, getting some experience, really helped lay the groundwork for you to go ahead and make that initial purchase and, and bring some sheep to your operation. Talk about how you went to do that. And then also talk about the labor side, because I think there's a lot of folks, they think about sheep. There's, you know, what are you going to do for a labor perspective with that? Well, and that, that's hugely important. As you know, finding help in, in, uh, uh, is hard. Uh, whether you're a feedlot or a ranch or farming operation, you know, labor is a big component. Thankfully, there's a, a process that people may have heard of, some of your listeners. You can uh, actually get sheep herders uh, from places like Peru and Mexico through an H-2A, a visa program. It's uh, regulated by the federal government, and uh, uh, it's utilized by many, uh, many of the sheep operators in the western part of the United States in particular. Generally, uh, these folks uh, have to, they're people that have to have demonstrated experience taking care of large numbers of sheep, and they will come in uh, for up to three years spend time taking care of your sheep and, and running your sheep operation. I, I was very fortunate. I got a herd, herder from Peru uh, named Julio. And this is actually, I think, his ninth or tenth year in the United States. Uh, he'd actually worked for one of my friends out in Colorado who I got connected with. And he was out of the country, was looking to come back in the country. And uh, my friend didn't have a spot for him and so referred him to me. And so if you're going to run a thousand head or, or better, and that's really kind of what you need if you're going to have a herder, thousand to 1200 head of sheep. My first herd, uh, when, I, when I first started, and actually still is a year later, I've been in this business just over a year. I, had a, I started with 1,080 sheep, and it's about the right number, quite frankly, if you're going to have a herder. Not only is the herder great at taking care of your sheep, but more importantly, in my mind, the herder really helps the grazing operation. So you can target the grazing. You know, you can, I didn't build any new fences. I didn't build any new water tanks. I, I built very little infrastructure when I added sheep to my, my beef operation. So you just, you mentioned grazing. 
give some perspective on the value of the grazing that having sheep as part of your operation has allowed you to accomplish. You know, you said you've got a yearling operation. What have the sheep been able to do in terms of adding value to the land enterprise and utilizing some feed resource that maybe you hadn't been fully utilizing before? I mean, most of the research indicates that sheep are going to consume uh, of their diet. They're going to eat about 30 to 40%, maybe a little higher. Uh, they're going to consume weeds or forbs, broadleaf plants. And of course, most of those plants are not uh, going to be eaten by your cattle. And so anytime in agriculture, we can end up with what, what I would term sort of a free lunch uh, no pun intended, a free lunch for the sheep. You know, uh, we all know that the number one cost of owning livestock is, is, is in the feed. So that is a real economic benefit to owning sheep. Uh, secondly, I have some really rough country and it's hard country to kind of go out and graze in the wintertime. You know, you have to go out and chop ice or make sure there's water. A lot of times I'm trying to supplement my cattle my yearlings in the winter and I can't have them out in remote hills. My sheep can go out there. As long as I get a little bit of snow, I can be running those sheep out there in really rugged hills and they will survive extremely well. And so what I do is I literally track by charging a daily rate to my land operation for my sheep operation I actually charge 10 cents a day, which I think, uh, you know, I've done some with, with a little bit of help from accounting people and people that, uh, and my nutritionist, we've looked at, you know, what kind of value it is. So I'm out there on a thousand head picking up 10 cents a day by grazing those winter pastures. So the winter grazing is wonderful. Summertime is, is great because my, my herder can really, you talk about intensive grazing or rotating or moving, he can move those sheep and kind of keep them in a two or three or four or 500 yard square yard area. And he can do it as intensely as you want. Or if you want to move more rapidly, if you want to put them down on a weed patch, that herder can go do that for you. And so uh, the versatility, the flexibility the ability to capture forage that I wasn't able to capture. And oh, by the way, these sheep will graze up hillsides. They love grazing up. I mean, they're, I have a great picture. We have what we call a table, which some people might call a mesa. It's just, you know, a high sort of plateau. And those sheep are grazing right up the face, probably on a 60 degree angle, right up the uh, face of that plateau your cows just aren't going to go up there very much. I mean, unless they're desperate cows and, and my yearlings just hammer the heck out of the bottom of my canyons. I mean, that's where they like to hang out. Sheep will graze up. So one of the benefits that I learned after I got the sheep herd was that those sheep will get to places, especially if you have rugged country, you know, obviously where I'm at, it's not mountainous or anything, but we do have some pretty rugged Hills up here in Custer County. And so that's been another really great benefit. Talk a little about the sheep management and when you lamb, how you lamb, and then uh, some of the things that go through some of the just care and, and management that go with having them. Well, I'm doing pasture lambing. Uh, there, there's, there's shed lambing, there's pasture lambing, and then you can sort of divide the pasture lambing, lambing between 
set stock or drift lambing. And I, you know, I won't bore everyone with all the details, but the bottom line is what I, what I do when it comes to lambing is I'm taking my thousand head and I'm dividing them into three, roughly 330 head and, and putting them in three separate pastures. And those pastures in my case are about 250 acres, give or take. And they're going to be there for about 40 days. So you have to, one thing about it, you have to make sure there's enough grass. Sheep are, uh, do, you know, the lambs do not handle cold weather and they don't handle rain very well. So I started lambing May 5th. Unfortunately, May 9th, 10th, 11th of last year, well, earlier this year, 2020, uh, we had some sub-freezing nights and then we got some cold, long rains. And I can tell you that, you know, I figure it probably cost me just the weather three or four days of that when I was really, when we were dropping 75, 80 headed lambs on the ground a day, that probably cost me 50 to 100 head of lambs. Just no matter what I tried to do to get out there along with the herder and get, get those lambs into a, a barn, it, it just, it's really hard on them. So my recommendation is, is, don't lamb too early unless you're going to lamb in a shed. Shed lambing is, is good, especially if you're a, more of a small flock owner, but it's very labor intensive when you get start putting a thousand or several thousand sheep in uh, buildings. There are a lot of costs to it. So now the good news is you can do it obviously earlier and, and so forth. And, you know, you just have to look at what you're comfortable with. I was hoping for about 120 to 130% lamb crop. I was told for a pasture lambing, that would be good. I ended up with 110%, so I was a little disappointed, but this is my first time around the sun with these sheep. And so I, I, uh, we had some predation issues, believe it or not, vultures plus the coyotes. We had a bald eagle uh, who might've got one or two. Uh, so predation is a big issue. I do have Akbosh guard dogs. You should run probably four to five per thousand head of sheep. They do a good job, but they're not, uh, they're not perfect. Uh, coyotes are very cagey and, uh, predators and so forth, bobcats. I am probably going to change up. I'm probably going to actually, uh, buy some quite, uh, quite a lot of electric netting, fencing and, all my sheep, all, all the sheep in these big herds go into what we call a bed ground every night. So even without you asking or driving them, they will go find a bed ground. And uh, so what I'm going to do is they come into their bed ground in these three pastures. I'm probably going to put them in behind an electric fence that allows the dogs a better chance. And just, I think that might be a good step forward. You know, sheep are like any other animal. You've got to take care of them. You've got to have a warming and, you, you know, you've got to you've provide the, you know, vaccinations. You know, I give uh, all the views before we breed them, what they call an anti-abortion vaccine, uh, which is the layman term for it. But uh, like any other enterprise, you're going to have, you just can't throw them out there and think they're going to be, you know, you've got to manage the process. And that management includes all the things that you have with cattle, health protocols, feed protocols, marketing and risk management protocols, human resource uh, approach. And uh, so 
you just can't throw them out there and think that they're going to take care of themselves. That's not going to work. On the other hand, the notion that you could have a, a person taking care of your herd 365 days, and I really believe this program is good both for the herder who, in many cases, in my, in my herder's case, Peru is, is going through a lot of hardship. Uh, they've got a lot of refugees. They've got political turmoil. They've got high inflation. My herder is really grateful to have a good place to work and be able to send money back to his wife and family. And uh, I think uh, you can't, you, you need to make sure that you're treating the herder uh, with dignity and respect and communicating well. I've had to rely on a neighbor who speaks fluent Spanish to help me. Uh, but we actually, as we've gotten to know each other, my family absolutely loves coming out and watching me communicate with Julio. Uh, I, I know I'm not conjugating the sentences right. Uh, we sometimes have to get down and draw, you know, stuff in the dirt. But we honestly, at this point, after, you know, uh, almost a year together, we're actually pretty proficient uh, at, at getting the basic things done. Occasionally, we have to sit down for an hour with my neighbor, the translator, and actually go over the details of when we're shearing and what day we're shipping and some of the, the more nuances. But it, it's really been kind of fun having Julio out here. He's a great guy, and, and he's really taught me a lot about the sheep business. So, Jim, if somebody came to you and said, what would you have liked to known 18 months ago, two years ago, before you, or if you could go back in time, I guess, and say, Jim, I'd give you some advice. Here are some things you ought to know before you go do this. What would you tell yourself? Well, I bought Merino uh, Whiteface uh, because they're really high-quality wool, and wool, no pun intended, is pretty hot, the Merino wool in particular. The woman that I bought the uh, sheep from uh, received a $40 plus premium or $40 for her wool, which is just tremendous. However, straight bred Merino are, the lambs are quite a pretty spindly. And uh, a number of people told me, Jim, you should breed your sheep to blackface, the, the Merino, the white face to a blackface get some of that crossbreeding, uh, heterosis, and so forth. Same thing we see in the cattle business. I didn't do that. I, I decided I was going to turn in purebred Merino rams, obviously, with my purebred Merino ewes. And I really think that hurt me in two ways. One, the lambs were not as durable and hardy, and that probably cost me some during those cold, wet days in particular. Secondly, you're going to get um, higher weaning weights uh, from the blackface lambs, and uh, I could see that. I did turn in, uh, sort of to clean up, I did turn in blackface, and I could see the blackface lambs that came late actually ended up being ahead of the whiteface who were born before them. And so that's one big issue. Uh, if you can end up, it's all about selling weight. So if I could have ended up with another five to 8,000 pounds times, um, I just sold some sheep for uh, some lambs for $2 and 20 cents a pound weighing 75 to 80 pounds, you know, that that's real money. So that's one thing. Um, I definitely, I know a lot of people don't want, maybe are intimidated by a thousand head of sheep. And I was quite frankly, but honestly, the sheep 
are pretty easy to herd and manage. I, I wish I would have known that. I mean, <laughs> I was actually more scared than I, even though I jumped into it. And, you know, people that know me know that I jump into things, you know. <laughs> Anyhow, but, you know, honestly, I, I handled the herding for two months before I, I got my herder here. I wasn't out there all, all the time. But I literally moved my sheep herd by myself with one dog three miles in about two or three hours. And uh, I could, they're surprisingly easy to herd. When you work a thousand head of sheep through, uh, we have a little sheep alleyway. You can work a thousand head of sheep through, depending on what you're doing in four to five hours, you need to have a crew. Predation, I think is a big issue. And it's certainly, I'm in coyote country. I've got a lot of borders and creeks and so forth. Uh, so you've got to have dogs and you've, uh, I, I've actually hired a trapper. Uh, I think predation is a, is a deal that uh, maybe didn't fully understand how important it was. I think the marketing aspect is important. Um, you know, at the end of the day, you have to sell your product. And I, I, if you, if you put these sheep on a truck and haul them out to a sale barn, they're going to charge you six, seven bucks. You're going to have $10 a head into them. That's a big number, you know. I've been very fortunate in that I found a fellow Custer County person that uh, that sells sheep and goats into the ethnic markets. The ethnic market is growing rapidly here in the United States, and it's probably taking 30 or 40 percent of all the sheep and goats in the United States are going into the ethnic market, and uh, they like their uh, sheep they don't like them over 100 pounds that's just the butchers that butcher for um, hispanic muslims you know a variety of folks from the middle east africa wherever they're from the ethnic market uh, they're, they're looking to have smaller uh, and so i we found that you could sell a 75 80 pounder for 220 but if that sheep or lamb ends up at 100 pounds more, you're only going to get 170. So they dollar out the same. So what I would tell everybody, you ought to look at seriously connecting to the ethnic market one way or another. Uh, we've got a guy right here in Nebraska. Uh, he, he has eight, 10,000 head of inventory on hand. He's t shipping three to four truckloads a week to either coast. So we actually have a person right here in Nebraska available to us who he's driving clear out to montana and wyoming and colorado my message to nebraskans would be let's work together on this and figure out uh how we can uh, not have to haul our sheep to newell south dakota or fort collins or so forth the other thing i think people ought to look seriously and i don't know much about hair sheep i know you and i talked before we got onto the podcast Hair sheep, you know, don't require shearing, and the ethnic population uh, uh, seems to like the, the hair sheep. Uh, I mean, they're buying wool sheep as well, but I am considering adding another herd of hair sheep. Uh, I've, I've got some neighbors that are interested in uh, allowing me to run some sheep on their land. They don't want to mess with the management of it. I guess they want me to you know, take, take care of that aspect, which is fine. But uh, I think uh, you, you're, I'm told for health and other reasons, you don't want to mix the two herds. 
but um, I may, you know, down the road here, look at, at experimenting with some hair sheep. Jim, any other things you'd like to highlight or things you think would be good for folks to know if they're considering sheep or looking at this as a possible enterprise to add to their cattle operation? Well, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm somewhat surprised that we're not uh, here in Nebraska much more. Uh, I, I'm surprised there are not more sheep in Nebraska. I'm not sure why that is because we have the cheapest feed in the world. Uh, all of my Colorado, Wyoming, Utah friends, they're out there paying, you know, 50 cents to a dollar more for corn. You know, their hay costs are higher. They're out there in, I think, kind of hard environments. They're dealing they're, they're out in the mountains where they have bears. They also are getting a lot of pushback from recreational people. Uh, I've got quite a few of my Western sheep friends that have asked me to look around and figure out maybe they could buy deeded land in Nebraska. We just don't have a, a, a we're a cattle culture here. And believe me, I've been part of it. You know, I'm, I love steak. I sell steak. I love cattle, but I don't know. I think it's important that we be open-minded. Um, I, you know, the old, there seems to be a little bit of that old anti-sheep sentiment. I, I, I'm not suggesting that, that anybody has made too many uh, unfriendly comments toward me, but <laughs> the fact is there seems to be sort of this anti-sheep sentiment. And I, I guess what I would say to people is, you know, uh, there is a lot of sheep and goats or a lot of sheep and goats being consumed all over the world. Um, Australia, people know is a huge sheep, New Zealand. Um, I, th I just think there, it's an opportunity in, in, in the low margin ag business that most of us try to exist in the notion that you could go out here and maybe get 25 or 30% of your forage for free for your sheep herd, uh, I think it's worth looking into. And uh, I'm not here to tell you that I'm after one year that uh, I'm 100% convinced, but I, I can tell you that what I've seen, I love the winter grazing. I love the notion that they'll graze weeds. I love having a little bit of diversification for my cattle business. Uh, I think that's also uh, helps to manage risk. Um, and so I'm pretty enthusiastic about it, but you need to be organized and prepared. And it's like anything else in life. If it were, if it were easy, everybody would be doing it. But I found in business, nothing, I don't care if you're running a restaurant or a dairy or raising hogs or running cattle or feeding cattle, you know, none of this is really that easy, you know, especially if you do it right. And so do I think that from an economic development standpoint, and I'm always as a, a guy that lives out here in rural Nebraska is always worried about how we're doing in terms of making sure we have good schools and a robust infrastructure and have people, you know, who can make a living out here. I mean, I could see Nebraska having, you know, literally, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of additional animals in, 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 on our landscape that I think would be helping all of us make more money and contributing to our local economy. And uh, that is not a small thing to consider or, or think about. 
Well, Jim, I really enjoyed our conversation today. I appreciate your candor and sharing with us a little bit of your experience and what you've learned and the thought process behind that. So thanks again for joining me today. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, I really appreciate you asking me uh, because we're literally coming to the end of the first year of owning these sheep. And it's been sort of a good process for me to reflect and think about this business. You know, sometimes you have to slow down, actually take a look in the rearview mirror and say, okay, what, what just happened the last year? And this interview uh, has helped that happen. And I uh, look forward to, I'm, I'm happy to help anybody or give anybody advice on the sheep industry. It, you know, it, it's what you pay for it. It might not be worth all that much, but I'm happy to talk sheep with anybody. Well, again, thanks again for joining me today, Jim. I appreciate it. But for more information on the Beef Watch podcast, I encourage you to visit the beef.unl.edu website. Obviously, at the beef site, we're not going to have much on sheep information, but Jim did make an a opportunity or offer the opportunity. If you'd like to visit with him, you can look him up and be happy to have conversation with you personally about his experience and what he's learned getting into the sheep business over the last year.